0: A grunt, as the tech comes into action. I'm here. Good evening, and welcome once again to Fish on Friday. It's me, Fitz. Turn the thing down. Off. I'll, I'll start again. Hello, and welcome to another Fish and Friday. It's our time. It's six o'clock BST, and it's me, Fish, here broadcasting to you. Hmm. Jade Week. Ah. It's like as I said. Tuesdays are normally the bad days. Today it's had Monday. Monday came early. Monday was Tuesday this week. And uh, just rubbish. Rubbish. Um, today, I had a really interesting thing to do today, so, um, just to show how hands on we are. Uh, we had to um, a couple of pallets or of the, the cardboard packaging for the, the vinyl arrived today. 2000 we got in today. And it didn't fit in the garage, so we're un- I was unpacking pallets and stacking things today. It's that hands-on up here, it's that hands-on. I used to be in a big band, you know, used to be in a big band. A um, couple of things, uh, Simon Mostyn, I know you're out there, um, a very happy belated birthday of sorry old man, I missed it, it was Twenty-six, seemingly, so very happy birthday. Simon was the guy who reduced me to the Somme and to the Highwoods, so he's special in my heart, and a Coventry City supporter. Oh, don't do this. Don't do that. Right, here we go. Andy Goski. Hello, George Connor, Paul Devlin, Andy Cannon, Angela Hartwell, Happy Friday. Yes, yes, yes. And Stacey, David Cringe, Sean Mitchell. Hello, from Liverpool. Liam Ramsey. Rare, rare regime. Couture, cuckoo fish. Andy White. Hello, from a rather dull or something. Teresa Langston from High Wickham, Graham Hartfleet, Michael Simmons, Jesse Ann McConnell, Tim Sycamore, John Tower from Arthur, Ontario, Canada, no less. Um, Rick Buscemi, West Seneca, New York. Uh, Andrew Evans, hi. Tony Horvath, hello, mate. Andy Ogerson, hello. Christian Drusen, Christchurch, yeah. Stacey Ann Kaylee Grove from Vermont, Jeffrey Dobbs, yes. Lincolnshire, Pia Lilia from Norway, and Simon Farquhar. Hello, Simon. Another Farquhar corner moment tonight. Um, the votes for the song was like outstanding. I couldn't believe it. It was a shadow play for God's sake. It was like I thought maybe Zoe twenty-five this week. Something. I thought there might be a bit of feeling going out for Zoe. You know, because you know she's been there two or three votes and always turned down, always the wallflower, always left sitting in the side of the music hall. Um, yeah, so it's play. Really thank you for doing that. It's, I mean, immense. I was really surprised about all that. And in Farquhar Corner, it's going to be very interesting going through the, the lyric and the construction of all this. Um, I'm actually going to cheat tonight because I'm going to play two versions of Shadowplay. One, the album version from Internal Exile. Uh, and the other one I'm going to play is a, a live version from, uh, it's one of the, the, the bootlegs, I can't remember which one it is, I'll tell you later, but it's, uh, I wanted to play it because it's like two completely different approaches, One, two very different drummers, and it's a track that it kind of it sits into itself, but by the time we start playing it, it kind of found a kind of a rhythm and a curve of its own, you know and uh, it wasn't c- quite as sticky as the as the inter- as the internal isolation. but i'll come on to that later uh, um <clears throat> one thing i say I've got this one this is just quite cool uh, hi fish hope you don't mind me dropping me a quick note i was remembering you talking about fellini on fishing friday a few days later i came across my copy of Amarcord. i'd forgotten what a great film it was this led me to re-watching a clockwork orange which again thoroughly enjoyed the next day, I was moving some records and came across the soundtrack to Clockwork Orange. I was surprised as I was sure it was downstairs. I checked, and it was. Well, I don't know if this was a fleary moment, as I wouldn't have thought that until you spoke of those great films. It was like a click in the mind. and knew where the spare copy needs to reside. It's for you. And this is from Chris Paskett. This is great. He sent me up and I listened to it for the first time since I was probably about 14 years old or something, right? He sent me up. It's turned around, so it's like, it doesn't say that on it. It says, Walter Carlos, Clockwork Orange, right? And it is an album from Walter Carlos. And this was kind of, I bought this when I was a kid. And Chris Paskin, thank you very much for sending it up, because I I don't even know what happened to my original copy of, of that album. But it was Walter Carlos, later to become Wendy Carlos. And it's great. It's got all the sleeve, it, so just like an old record, right? And uh, it was one of the songs that, that I played when we were in the house the other day, and it was Time Steps, right? And Time Steps was seemingly the, the track that Walter Carlos sent to Stanley Kubrick because he was a big Kubrick fan, and he sent it across, and that was kind of how he got into you know getting the clock the recording soundtrack. And Time Steps, she scared me shitless. It was like, I remember playing it, I, I told you a story about another one when I played... Um, Tangerine Dream uh, the Atom album and I think it was Van, which means Scream, right? And I remember playing that in an empty house, and my mum and dad were away on holiday, and I was left in the big house in Landfine and Glebe Street alone. And it was like this, and I turned the hi-fi right up, so because I was wondering about the house, so I will just turn that and it was it freaked me out. And this song did exactly the same time steps. It's such a creepy song. Uh it's got a lot of atmosphere, a lot of atmosphere. and uh, But it was great to play this. It's got, um, uh, uh, also it's got a version of La Gazaladra as well, which was uh, played, it's all electronic. And I think that must have been kind of the first trigger for me for picking up La Gazaladra as the, the, the intro for Brilliant for when we decided, I think it was 80, 85, 86, when we first used it, I can't remember. Please send me a message if I've got it wrong. I'm an old man. and I forget. Ah. Stephen Asbury, Zoe. Yeah, sad. Sad face. Um, Derek Murray. Hello from HCV Jumbo. Fair player out in the Eastern Med near Israel. What? HCV Jumbo? Is that a boat? Mark Azapardi. Hello from Malta. Colin Howden. Glad that the play. Okay. Uh, A.I. from Norm- Normanton, Craig Tipton, Roger Harvey. Uh, da, da, da. Yeah, like I say, the two versions. But yeah, but this album is just it's stunning. I don't even know if it's, you can download it or what, but, it's, but to have the vinyl was great. Thank you very much. So I'll put that away. Because that is the stack, the listening stack. Um, do a couple of rough ones. Prog Magazine, here I am. This is it. Uh, I put a little message up on Facebook the other day, if, you're, um, uh, if you fancy a copy, then the guys would love it if you bought a copy from them. You, there's a link on the Facebook page and it says where well, you can buy like one issue or if you want to subscribe. The magazines are having a really, really tough time just now. Um, you know, you think that, oh, well, it's just because they've got to fill a lot of pages because there's no live reviews. But there's a substantial amount of revenue getting lost by a lot of magazines. And um, um, it's basically the live, the live side of things. Because promoters and venues and bands like myself, you know, when you're on tour, you've got an album out, you're, you're buying ads. And um, so they've lost a huge chunk. And they've still got journalists to pay. They've still got editorial staff to pay and all the rest of it. So if you fancy it... If, you fancy buying a magazine, I get it. It is actually a good read. I mean, I was very happy with the interview. And Ian Mosley's in it as well. And what I really love about it, it's like, I'm like, like I said, it's my face in the front of Prog Magazine. And I got Steve Ackett, right? You know, this the second gig I ever saw in my life back in, uh, what was it, 75, what it was. John Anderson, yes, right? And General Giant. It's like, I'm there with all my peers. And there's Emma Slick and Palmer, and Marillion, which is Ian Mosley, the drummer, and Lonely Robot, my old mate hello John right. uh, Peter Hamill, of course Father Graf General, Dave Jackson and Bebop Deluxe, and the Kairos who I don't know and Zach Frank Zappling. but it was great to be kind of, you know have my name with all those kind of peers it still blows me away sometimes But it was uh, it's very cool so if you fancy a magazine and you get a free beard with it you know that was me uh, last week before the razor arrived I had to do a um I did a thing for Sky, one of those eighties programs, you know, ding 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 ding. Here's fish shit singing really, blah blah blah. Right. So I'm on Sky on September the twelfth. I'll put it up on Facebook when I'm actually on it, but it's just me picking some videos and things. And they're playing Gardener Remembrance, which is kinda cool. Um it's uh but I had to do this this video interview, um, and it was and I ordered, I realised that I was getting way, way, way too Santa Claus. And uh, so I ordered a, a new kind of uh, beard trimmer because the other one was screwed. It was like, it was, you know, I was having to use WD-40 on the blades and they were kind of chewing up my face rather than kind of actually cutting through the silky hair that is my face. And um, so anyway, so I got it and it was. I was waiting. I thought it was going to arrive on Monday and the interview was at two o'clock. And I did the interview with a full the full beard and then it was ding dong and was in at the door right after the interview so next morning it was like right down shorn the sheep shorn the sheep talking about sheep <laughs> talking about sheep no, no that's not one of them sorry I don't know if you noticed I was on Sky it was like you know the comedy bit at the end of the really sad shitty news bit the one that's supposed to cheer you up right you know so it wasn't a dog puppy dog or a cat or anything like that It was a sheep called Double Diamond, right? And this sheep was just sold in a Scottish market to three farmers, right? It went for, what was it? I took a note of the the, the number. £365,000 for a sheep, right? God, that's like Sunday dinner would be about, well, divided by four, Four legs, a leg on four legs. Yeah, I mean that's a good, you know, a good 25 grand for a leg of lamb on a Sunday, you know. But no, it's not for eating. It's um, it's for breeding. And this poor little ram, right? Or it's a a, a ram lamb, I don't know what that is. A ram a lamb ram a lamb ram a lamb ding-dong. <laughs> anyway, this lamb stroke ram, right, which has got huge bollocks, massive very bollocks like in my life. And it's it's for breeding, so this this sheep is gonna be um, it's just gonna be, be, be shagged to death or it's gonna be shagging to death until it has a heart attack. They said they asked the farmers like how long it was gonna live for and they said, Well <laughs> until it has a heart attack. Or they running out of sheepy viagra, whatever like you know, give it has rejection, it's gonna go and shag it all out. Loud. But yeah, so that's it. And you can imagine them all standing there in a the lane like oh, the little lambs, the lamb rams always go like, you know, so what are we up for? Said, well, you're gonna be shy to death. Oh. <laughs> so anyway, it's a, it's a sperm machine that they bought for 365 grand, right? And uh I'd be terrified. I mean, you know, you know, having a sheep worth 365 grand, you know, in your field and all that. No. <laughs> I couldn't sleep at night. <laughs> yeah. So Barclough, Anderson, Riley, Romero, Tanya Wyman, yeah, Michael Simmons, uh, Jackie Lola, You look a lot younger tonight. It's the light. It's, it's the light. You know, the weather has been absolutely shite all week. It's been like you know, the flagpole came down. Uh, of the flagpole. We're not really sure. It missed the car by about six inches. 'Cause I, I walked out the front the front garden the other day and I was going, there's something missing from the view. And then I realised was and I was trying to find out what the wind direction was and I went, the flagpole's gone. And I thought somebody's nicked it, you know. I thought, poor. But I went outside and it had fallen straight down between, basically at the side of uh um, Simona's car. And uh but it had thumped off the, the paving stone and got a dent in it. So basically we'd put it up with these plastic white plastic brackets and you know those deck chairs you you always sit on, you know uh, you know, me big guy, big fat guy. You know, deck chair down to the seaside resort, blah blah blah. Sitting down, just a bit of drink your your Corona beer or whatever. Like, give him it explodes. It's what that's what happened. Is that white plastic crap? Um, it's um, it just it's just melted in the the, the with a, the too much sun and too much cold and wind. So anyway, the flagpole went, and I was really want to get up. So we're we'll trying to find some metal brackets for it and get it put back up again. but that and a a terrible attack of uh, some sort of aphid on my red cabbages that was a bit of a bummer this week Um, so I went across to the dark side and sprayed it with something they used in Vietnam I think so hopefully it will kill them all bastards Uh, so we've been getting on with everything else Um, Andrew Hancock a top a top is a lamb ram. Yeah, very good. A top. Oh. Gabby Navarro Marino, hello from Mexico. Conrado Uno, another Friday, another lovely time of fish. Iowa, Midwest America. Claudio Perriero from Argentina. Pauline Daisley. Uh, Luigi Grimaldi, a journalist from Verona. Do you think you go back to singing in Italy when? I'd love to... I'd, there was a whole thing happened in the 80s when it was the usual crap where I said something that was not only taken out of context, it was um, uh, it was kind of twisted. And it basically, what I inferred was what I said, that was um, I hated Italy and I hated playing in Italy and I didn't like Italian fans, which was completely utter bollocks. And um, I didn't know anything about this and it was seemingly printed in a national newspaper. This was way, way back. And, um, of course, you know, I arrived there and people got a bit, of, and I'm going, what have I And, um, but yeah, it was, it was playing Italy back in the day with some great gigs back there. But I mean, I had, the, the the problem with Italy was, um, there was a lot of promoters lost a lot of money, you know, back in the day on just gigs that never happened. It's another story. I could tell you Tell some great stories about Italy, which I will do another time, but, yeah, I mean, the the problem with Italy is the same as with every other place. You know, it's not a case where I don't want to play. It's a case that the promoters don't offer enough money. And at this moment in time, like God knows what's happened with venues, live stuff and all the rest of it. Is, you know, I had a, an email was sent to my German agent a couple of days ago just going, you know, we need... You know, the, the problem is that, you know, you're getting asked as as a, an artist to... to um, you know, the venues, the promoters, there's been a kind of formatted letter gone out and it's basically, if there's reduced capacities, then the venue stroke promoter has the right to renegotiate and, you know, if anything happens, the artist doesn't get paid and if anything happens and the artist hasn't got money before it's gone down, then the artist pays all the money back. So basically, it's like, you know, we are sitting there um, taking it with no insurance and you know, as I pointed out to him, you know, we ain't renegotiating gigs. It's like, you know, I'm not going out to play to, you know, 150 people in a thousand capacity venue. We can't do that. It doesn't make any financial sense whatsoever. You know, when you've got an nightliner that's costing, you know, 1300 quid a day or whatever, then, you know, and you've got 10 people that are on wages that if gigs go down, you're in hotels, you can't expect people to stay in the bus all the time. So there's, you know, I've got to kind of stand my ground a little bit on this, and I intend to. It's, um, you know, I, I don't know what's going on. It's, you know, everybody, you know, like I said, it's, you know, you see the news coming about Leicester and Manchester blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we've got a couple of things happening up here and stuff. So, I mean, it's still, you know, tippy-tappy everywhere. Hello, um, anyway, so that's all. Well, I'll do that later on. Um... The Erdinger tonight, um, I'd like to thank uh, Kevin Williamson for facilitating. But um, this is from Gary Shepherd. Gary Shepard, thank you very much for tonight's Erdinger. Um, please don't send him. Well, we have got a lot. I, have, I did buy a lot in, so it's like this is great. But Gary Shepherd, thank you very much for the Erdinger tonight. Um, where are we? There's uh, the 365 Grand Sheep. There's the lyrics Oh, well, here's a couple of questions. Um, Andreas Dahl do you have any photos to post a picture of a rudely shaped turnip Um, I don't have a photograph of a rudely shaped turnip but maybe next week I'll have a photograph of a very rudely shaped kohlrabi let's see how it goes Um, uh, Ray Rooks Fish any stories about Freddie Mercury yeah Uh, I'm not doing them yet I'll do them another time it's like you know Claude Micheleff Attar, do you intend releasing any other vinyl after Welchmerz? Yes, I'd like to. The problem with vinyl is it's expensive to put together. Uh, Having learned from the the cut of Welchmerz, when this half-speed mastering that we did, then I really want to do that with, uh, with the albums. But yes, I would like to put out the albums... And put out the entire solo thing, you know, gatefold sleeves, so there's a whole run of them. And they'll probably have to be limited editions because I can't afford to invest in huge numbers. And I think, you know, looking at you know, what we're doing with Weltschmerz, has been really healthy. I think we're up to about uh, 1,300 albums, vinyl albums now, which is, is impressive, um, you know. But then again, I, I was told by a friend of mine, he was telling me about the youth of today. And simply, the youth of today like to listen to the album on Spotify when they're going about their daily trades, but uh, they prefer to listen at night on vinyl. So there you go. There's a little thing that's happening now. People listen to Spotify and buy the vinyl and listen to the vinyl. But, it's, but yeah, I'd like to do it. I mean, it'd be it'd be cool to have all of all the vinyls together. And uh, you know, we tend to listen to a lot of vinyl here. I mean, um, it's, just the last week we've been. Well, apart from the Clockwork Orange, Walter Carlos thing, these other things. Oh. Green Penny, would you consider playing Princess Street Gardens Bandstand as a farewell? Um, when I hear Princess Street Bandstand, a little shake goes through me. Um, we did a gig there. Uh, it must have been. I think it was ninety-five. I think it was ninety-five and um, we were going to do a charity gig for The Big Issue, and we thought it'd be great, you know, and it was, I I, I was basically promoting the whole thing, and I had myself, there was um, uh, Dream Disciples, who were on my label, were gonna play, there was a couple other bands, I think um, uh, Tam White, I think was gonna play it, and we set it all up, we did the sound check the night before, and things, it was all pretty cool, and, The stage was set up and I went to bed. And then I got woken up about 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock in the morning and there was people, I could hear screams down the phone. And basically what had happened was there was an absolute deluge. And uh, I looked out the window and it was just solid raindrops. I mean, coming down in the millions, it was just horrendous. And the front of the stage roof had collapsed. And the forecast for that whole day uh, was going to be complete rain. And I went into the bandstand and it was just a really awful, awful scenario. And, um, and the whole event ended up just going down. And there was, I remember having an argument with the Dream Disciples because they were on about positioning and when they were going to be playing. And I'm trying to explain to them, it's like, this ain't going to be happening. And the whole event was shortened and, you know, we ended up in a bar. It was, but it was a disaster. But that was the old bandstand, the Ross bandstand. And seemingly, they're actually uh, um, they're, they're creating a whole new space there, and designing a new bandstand that's more like a, it looks like a Hobbit village. It looks quite cool actually. It's kind of grass on the top of the roof, and you know, it, it looks really get really really cool. But uh, I don't know. It's um, I mean the thing is, I've never ever been asked to play a New Year event in Edinburgh. I've never been asked for a Hogmanay event. I never get asked to play uh, any of the big festivals up here. I, I get offers to play festivals. In fact, I had one last week, and uh, we we're looking at it. But one of the problems is to go back to what I was on before. It's like COVID. It's um, we don't know. I mean, people are now saying June, July, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, and I, I just get really nervous about you know going. Yeah, I'll, I'll do the gig and stuff. But then, you know, they, this is the problem that we've got. Is that you know? for example, for me, I've got to phone up on my guys and find out if they're available and if they want to come out, and then we got to try and bring them all together and then put them in a rehearsal space, and you know, which is at this moment in time impossible. You know, it would, uh, you know, just to have them 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 set up, you know, bringing everybody together and bringing the crew up, it's impossible, and then you got to put them in rehearsal and then you you, but you can rehearse the band as we did last year. But you know, then you've got to get the gigs. And it's like, you know, having a band rehearsed and then waiting on gigs and you know, both getting blown out, getting blown out as happened in March, you know, it becomes an absolute minefield for us. And um and it's it, it's impossible to plan. And uh and you know, it's great, I mean that the proms is on, which is good. You know, they've got a socially distanced orchestra. But you know, our band's always been socially distanced, so I stay as far as I can away from the bass player. Uh-huh. But, yeah, I mean, my point is, you know... I mean, somebody wrote an email to me today, going, where do I get tickets for this? It's like, I wouldn't buy tickets, mate. I wouldn't buy tickets for anything just now. I mean, um, you know, this, as I said, the February tour, it's got a huge question mark on it. And, you know, the other thing I've said is that... Um, I'll be absolutely straight with you. It's, you know, if any gigs go down next year, they're not being replaced, you know? I mean, if a tour goes down next year, it's not gonna be bumped on. It's gonna be everybody's gonna get refunded. Because I I cannot keep on I cannot keep on with this, you know, jumping, you know, months ahead and stuff. And yeah, you know, I have to do a farewell tour. And if this next if the two twenty one tour falls out, then the next tour will be my last, right? And if the autumn, if the European tour at 2.21 falls out, my final tour will be in 2.22. 2.22, 2.22. Yeah, 2.22. So um, that's it. So that's from the, the fish's mouth, that is. Martin Kujawa, greetings from Poland. <coughs> oh, and I sent a link to Double Diamond, the world's most expensive sheep. Yankee, hello. Hoog bookers, of all the drummers you had on the albums, which do you prefer the most? I don't know, um, Craig Bundell done an absolutely brilliant job on Um And I was astounded at his playing. I mean, incredible player. I mean, I saw him just a few nights before he came to do the, the, the drum sessions here in the studio. And I saw him with Steve Hackett, and he was outstanding with Steve Hackett. But I mean, Craig, I mean, I was... I was uh, um, we were emailing just the other day because it was, I think he's going to be doing an interview in Prog Magazine about Neil Peart. And, uh, and he was asking, but I mean, you know, Craig got hit badly by the, the Steve Hackett tour going down. And um, I mean, that was months and months and months of work. Just went, poof, you know. Gustavo Carola from Argentina. Roddy McKinnon, Philly and Nick. Stephen Arons, hello. Philip yeah, Wetzel. I was at the Princess Street gig, soaked to the skin, but you were still great, thing, very much. Fish and water still works. Graeme Aylin, Pete Gibbons, hello. Pete Fuller. Pete, is it your birthday, Pete? Any chance of a happy birthday sing song? Pete Hudson, I remember you playing on top of Waverly Market. Yeah, I did. That was an acoustic thing, I think. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. P Gibbons from Canada. Mark Palmer. Hello, Mark. Hello. Mandy Brain, Sean Mitchell, Fish Stock Two Thousand Twenty-One. Seemingly they're doing up the Hannington Corn Exchange, and uh, I was really pleased with what they did the last time, and they changed the acoustics and put some acoustic drapes up, which because that place was just, in fact, one of the the bootlegs that I heard came from Annington Corn Exchange. it sounded huge, and it was um, because it was just such a massive chamber, and uh, but they dampened it down, and it's a lot better, but. To be honest, Harrington Con Exchange, it's like I've never seen such a waste of a building, right? It's, um, it's a really beautiful old corn exchange, the same you know, the same idea as, as in Cambridge. And, you know, it's, it's a great asset to the community and uh, we just don't use it enough. And, you know, this is my bones. It's like, um, you know, I, I, it was two, three years ago, it might have been longer, there was talk about uh, a, a local a big local company like an international company that's in the area was going to invest a lot of money in it and they were talking about it and you know i, I kind of got involved at the time and you know and I, i've seen some amazing places i mean Exeter, down in exeter um the gig down in exeter is a perfect example of like you know how you run a, a, a community gig you know where you've got an art gallery with local artists you've got a coffee bar things where people could come in You've got a multifunctioning space, which you see in Holland and you see in Germany and lots of places that we play in. And, uh, but I mean Britain's so behind in venues. I mean, you know, you, you play Holland in some of the best venues in the world are in Holland. I mean, just the way they're set up. The the I mean, not only from the, the tech specs, you know, where you've got amazing speakers and, and great stages that are all changeable and da-da-da. You've got the microphones, you, I mean, they're, they're amazing, and then the space, the the, the, the crowd space is the proportion towards the stage and the hall is, is you know, like a Tilburg Zero One Three. I love that venue, and i was sad to hear uh, of my friend Hank uh, the other day that it's struggling a bit, and um, it's. Uh, but I mean, the thing is, like you, like I said, you go to Holland, you've got care you've got clean rooms, you've got showers, you've got you got space to kind of chill out it's it's great for touring bands any musician who's watching this who's ever played all oh, is this is not going and then you come here and some of the places here I mean even kind of the, the, the bigger venues are shite you know there's no investment in them you know and um you know there's no personality to all the venues and I, I like gigs with personality personality and uh like I said, exit uh, Phoenix is, is a classic. We did Lincoln Drill Hall was another venue we played on the Fish Hits Club tour. I just went wow, the Cambridge Corn Exchange works really well. But that's what I would love to see in Hanington is, is like see the Corn Exchange and see it taken and and having cinema there, so you don't have to drive or get the bus all the way up to some you know massive cinema. You know, have talks in cinema, have somebody come on and introduce the movie, play the movie, and you know, but you still have you know space for as I said, exhibition space, you've still got kind of, um, um, like, um, market spaces, and as far as, you know, bric-a-brac and da-da-da, but getting involved, but investing the money, but it needs changing rooms, it needs dressing rooms, it needs offices, it needs a space, you know, it's, it can't just be a box, you know, and uh, I'd love to see Harlington College Exchange kind of developed along those lines, um, I mean, speaking at this point in time, when, you know, so many venues have got question marks over them, yeah, you know, but it's my little pipe dream it was. Oh. Ian Platt. My nine-year-old son asked what I'm watching. He says I'm watching fish. He said, he's some he's a man, not a fish. Yeah. Richard Hall, good evening from Winchester Barry Kitchen, Randy Camp. Ed Duffery Lowe from New York. I watch at Hamilton Town Hall and some places Socky Hall Street. Hamilton Town Hall, yeah, yeah. It slipped up the timing, but no, you're on a bit. We're moving it half past. I'll take another. I'll, I'll deal with a couple of ones here. Um, do, 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 do. Chris Holwell, do you still get asked to do any acting? No, I've not been asked. I was about a year ago. I was asked to do an indie film, but I was I, I was too busy at the time. But I mean, you know, acting. I mean, character actors. You know, I mean, I mean that's where I'm, I'm going to be at. I mean, my knees are not suitable for action hero work anymore. My days of stunts are long gone. And um, but yeah, I'd, lo- I'd love to do character stuff. I mean, yeah, I'm up for doing it. But I mean, I don't want to have the experience I should have. You know, and I get r- really nervous when I'm in front of a camera. When you when I'm reading lines, I mean, you know, even when I'm on stage, I've got to like you know have my lyrics in front of me. But um, you know, so, so it's. I get I get kinda of stressed, but I mean I've said before, right? You're acting great if little things come up and they work in the time that I'm doing. I mean oh, <laughs> I actually <laughs> I got my royalty check from Empty and Hallett. Uh we my, my agents. Well I never see them anymore. We'd never we don't talk or anything like that. <laughs> I just get my royalty cheque set up and uh, so I got my royalty check up set up from Empty and Hallett. And uh, I was absolutely blown away. Well, blown away by it. It was um, for um, it was for a, a rerun of Young Person's Guide to Becoming a Rock Star, and I had the princely sum of one pound and fifty two pence. <laughs> well, one pound fifty. So yeah, that's why you know I didn't really follow acting. Uh, you know, it was kind of. I don't think I could have kept the, the roof over my head with, with my acting gigs. So I uh, about one pound and fifty-two pence. Can't even buy a half pint with it. But it was very nice of them to send them sent it up to me. Very nice. I'll buy I'll buy a chocolate bar. <laughs> <laughs> one pound fifty-two. Well, even Spotify's better than that. <laughs> I went in I went in and told my oh, to always says but we're all going out for a slap up meat when it roller checks coming from my acting career <laughs> share a fish finger <laughs> uh, uh, let's see what else it is here just to... fish do you have any superstitions? Um that was from Darwin Mills. Uh, not really um I wear green underpants when on a on a on a Hibs game day. Uh, I don't wear any colour of the opposition, um, any colour of the opposition at all. Like if we play Comanac, I won't play anything blue. Like you know, the blue buff would not be worn. Would not be worn on that a day. But it'd be, that'd be a green. It's a green buff day. And we've got Aberdeen on, on Sunday, which is a big game for us. If we, if we can be Aberdeen, which is kind of, I think it's going to be a score draw. But um, if we do if we beat Aberdeen, we were sitting joint top of the league with Glasgow Rangers at the moment. So uh, or Rangers, and um, it's um, yeah. So it's not dizzy. Uh-huh. We're doing okay, and we managed to keep Martin Boyle this week, who's our uh, Australian forward. Who's I was really happy we kept him. But yeah, so superstitions. I mean, you know, on, on Sunday I'll be wearing nothing red. It'll be green. Everything'll be green. Uh, on gigs, um. I don't you know, I don't have like I must enter stage left or anything like that. Uh um No, I, I actually don't. I can't think Damon, do I have any superstitions uh, no. Is this there's, no does it, what did I do in stage before I go out? I can't remember anything. hug each other
1: for good luck. Or oh yeah whatever. yeah,
0: this one of the one of the things we do is just, we've done this for a while is that we all kind of we all have a group hug, right? And then, so everybody gives every other member a hug. Remember hugs? <laughs> that's the only person I can hug, uh, and, um, yeah, remember hugs and handshakes. But yeah, that's what we used to do before we go on, to, on stage. Just at the side of the stage before we go on, everybody hugs each other. And then you know when Yata or Dominic, the production manager, before I go on stage, I get it's the one last hug, and then I go on the stage and do the gig, you know. And that's that's really it. You know, I can't really think of anything else. So, so Mattyell, how's the shoulder? I don't know. Um, Similarly, I'm going to see I'm going to physio on the third of September, but I've not heard anything back from the MRI scan, and so I don't know what's happening with that. So. It's another thing, so I'm waiting on a call, <laughs> and there's a, there's another operation we've got to go for, which I can't talk about at the moment. Uh, nothing serious, but it has to be done, right? It's a, it's an old problem and uh, has to be fixed, right? And uh, I don't want to tell you about it because it's going to be a tea time. Well, um, so. I've got two operations and it's like, whoever gets me first. Right? It's like, do I get the shoulder one or do I get the other one? Right? And it's like, and then I got whisked off and I get a load of general anesthetic. And the thing is with general anesthetic, you can't have it. You've got, I think it's like three months you've got to wait or something before you have a GA or th- There's some regulation about it because it affects you. And to be honest, I'm not exactly super keen on going in a hospital at the moment. It's, um, but yeah, so the shoulder, I'm waiting on to see what comes and but whatever one comes first is so um uh, Gary Lundis just do they have pineapple in their pizza in a way? I've got no idea Gary but most probably because it's what it's called isn't it um <laughs> a lot of bit me uh yeah. Christian Druzen probably Cosmotic booster Jack I, st- I still get I still get occasional royalties from Taggart and uh, and things like that or um, Rebus. I still get you. You got <laughs> Rocks of cheques have come in. To my, it's three patterns this year. No. Uh, yeah. yeah. Gus van de Velde, I'm glad you see what you can laugh about. It, yeah, it's a well, Electric Man. I've I, I invested two grand in that movie and like you know. <laughs> Just never had a royalty check of that yet, Mr. Barris. Where's my royalty checks? Uh. <laughs> Kevin Pfeiffer. Hell, that's US dollars too, too. Yeah, it's not even enough for Starbucks. Uh. Mark Ray. Hello from Sweet Ham, Alabama. Uh. Catherine Ramage. You can nearly get a pint in Ferry Hill for £1.52, can you? Uh. Kevin Conker. A lot of artists don't like Spotify. Are you okay with it? It's not a case of being okay with it, it's there, and you know, James Cassidy, who's a dear friend of mine who works for 7 Hertz, turned me onto the digital world uh, a couple of years back, basically in 2018, when Parlour with Angels, when the EP came out. And um, it was like, yes, yeah, so I put my catalogue on Spotify. I mean, you know, you ain't gonna make a living off your Spotify earnings, you know what I mean? I'm, you know, I've, I, can't, I don't even know how many followers I've got. I mean, I'm not one of these guys that goes into stats and stuff. And like, you know, what's the percentage lift today? And where, where are we going? And, oh, we've got another three points in Venezuela and blah, blah, blah. blah. I don't do that. It's, it's like, I do the music, put it out, and then I'll let other people kind of worry about that kind of side of the, the graphs, and the pie charts and stuff. Uh, but, but Spotify is not so much a pie chart, it's a crumb chart. And, um, you know, it's, especially with the stuff, the Marillion stuff that goes through EMI. Because I get paid from EMI after Spotify pay EMI and EMI pay me the royalty after their deductions. So you can imagine how bad that is. So, um, so the way the game goes. But, I mean, you know, as was pointed out to me with James, you know, I mean, Spotify, it's MP3s. You know, we, you know the quality that you get through these kefs and stuff. You know, that even what you listen to on the Kefs, you know, you ain't good. That's what it should be, you know? That's what we make. That's you know, when we create music, we make it like in, you know, decent file sizes, not MP threes and we don't listen to it on iPhones. I have never listened to an album mix on an iPhone to check in my life and never will do. Well definitely never will do now. But um but yeah, I mean, you know, Spotify but the thing is that people It's easy for people to access. I mean, my daughter Tara, I mean, I don't even remember the last time she bought an album. You know, I mean, I've got no idea when she bought an album and she listens on Spotify and she listens on YouTube. And and that's the way it is. I mean, with Spotify, what you've got to hope is that people can, uh, they maybe hear one song of yours and they're interested enough to go in and listen to other songs in the catalog. And the ultimate aim is that if somebody hears a song on Spotify that they like, then they get in touch with fishmusic.scot and they buy one of my back catalog remasters, you know, that's what you hope. Doesn't happen all the time. I mean, I've got more people, I've I've got about five times, six times more people listening on Spotify than I sell albums at this moment in time. So, um, but that's the way it is, but you know, the way it was sold to me was at least your music's getting out there and getting heard, although you're not getting paid for it. But you know, you're hoping to sell a concert ticket, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that, that's the whole thing about um, you know, it was, it was something I think it was Stephen Wilson. He had a, a, uh, I heard from Stephen that it was, it was like he was, he was not happy about Spotify and he went for it. And he suddenly he was getting offers to play festivals in India, and um, and that's kind of how it works. It's like you know you're hoping that you, there's enough people listen to it. They might not buy your albums, but they'll buy a concert ticket. But oh dear, <laughs> yeah, there's something badly missing in this equation at the moment. <laughs> Lord hello, salut, Kevin Slade. Hello from Wilco, Cezanne in Germany. How are you? Sabina Good. Good Abend, Simona. Somebody said, hello, hello to you. Sabina Brignall says hello to you, my darling. What? Sabina Brignall says, "Good Abend, Simona. Good Abend. <laughs> she says, "Good Abend, back. Oh. Andrea Healy. Yes, thank you very much for the brown beer coffee. You sent me up a gift voucher, and I'm sorry I never responded to you, but thank you very much for that. We bought some, uh, we got some Vida. La Vida, which is our favourite um, coffee blend from uh, Brown Bear. I like Brown Bear coffee. Brown Bear coffee Erdinger. Don't do adverts. Brown Bear coffee in Erdinger. And Wirtschwärts, Wirtschwärts. Buy Wirtschwärts. Right. It's quarter to seven. I can launch and sit now. Shadow play. I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. Right. it's not my favorite song right. I thought it was it was a, an overwrought song it was um the idea originally came from what the whole drum part when I was working with mickey it was a and that was where I had this drum thing going. And I it was going to make it And that was kind of that was what I sold to Mickey. And we built it and if it, it as a song it feels really forced. I don't like singing it because it is incredibly difficult to sing. Um because all the syllables, right? This is your this is your you Simon Farquhar corner. Here Simon Simon Farquhar corner. Welcome to Farquhar corner, and Farquhar corner, and this lyric I had bits of it written ahead, right? But they were all syllabically percussive, right? So the whole thing was um, the 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 lyric and the syllables were driving everything, which really it, it didn't create a rod for my back. He created this huge pickaxe handle with a nail in it for my back to try and get these lyrics together. The substance of the lyrics, where it came from, uh, we're talking 1990, <clears throat> yeah, know, 1990. Um, my then wife and I were going through the first of many... Um, schism moments and um the song's about, it 's about jealousy it 's it's, it's about jealousy the shadow the shadow play was uh, it was something I, I saw it was the, the the balinese puppets you know where you 've got the sheet, the sheet of paper and the puppets, and you have the story and the drama is you know that the theater is done behind that the paper, and all you see is the shadows and there was something about that that intrigued me and it 's a song it 's about jealousy it 's about you know not really knowing what's going on you know what's real and you know and you're watching this theater and trying and there is substance to the jealousy and within that as well you've got this thing where you're making excuses well it was actually my fault it's not you it was my fault I drove you to do this you know it was my fault there was all that came into it as well and it's about two people that are kind of far apart and you don't really know each other and you're trying to get back together again. And that was the idea, the old day, the shadow play, the intrigue, the lies and, you know, or the supposed lies and the jealousy all tangled up in this kind of shadowy theater. That was what it was all about. But, you know, when we put it together, it was um, it was at that period where, you know, I was in my difficult second album and I, was, I felt it needed a prog song. I listened to it last night. And i really didn't like it I I, I I and then i listened to it today again in, in in the cold light of day and then i listened to the um a live version and it was it was interesting the last time i remember playing it as, as in its full glory was at a fan club convention across in uh Enskede. and i remember as somebody pointed out i actually crossed myself before i started singing it because it is horrendous to sing you know, it's like, you know, it opens up, right? And then you got to, you drop down. And it's a hunch, fetal in the corner of my soul. My fingernails are bleeding. Climbing up the wall this time. You really hurt me right down to the corner. I'm desperately trying to find a reason to forgive you for it all. Bah! And then you're in. And it's like mental. I saw your life as a shadow play. In a trance I was held by the shadow play. In the spell of the shadow play from Celtic... Illumination, let's see the Celtic. It was all rhythmic and ever, all those syllables, was, they're all smacking round about the drums and stuff, and it got so busy. And the breathing, because you know, I'm, I'm sitting there, you know, once we had the kind of template for the music, I was filling all the gaps, all the gaps, right? And it's, I never realised, just stuff have gone. I turned around and all that I saw was distance Through an that burned Every time that someone met you June, hey, da, ba, da, I should have noticed June, de, 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 de. Very rhythmic the whole way through. And like I said, the breathing, you know, and when you're on stage and you're also kind of, you're moving, you're not just standing there on a microphone in a studio, you know. It became really tough. And, um, it was, uh, there was just too many bloody words. And, um, the substance of the song, I like. I like the, the story of it, but it was never my favourite. And when we took it out on the road, it was on that, that 91 tour, I remember, it, I could remember every single song, all the new songs I had off by Pat, I knew them exactly, you know, I knew them by heart, right? Shadowplay, right? I was still reading the lyrics to the end part of Play. you know, and, and so was David Payton, who was playing bass at the time. And uh, we were both reading the lyrics on the, sta- on, on the stage because just, I just couldn't take them in. It was so many words. And um, that's a small font. And, you know, when you see them written out like that, you know, and that's six-odd minutes. One of the things that happened with Shadowplay was um, on the album that was produced by Chris Kimsey, which was the first album that we recorded in this very room, right? Um, and I remember we tried out uh, Ted McKenna on drums and it didn't work out and I had a very awkward piece that I've talked about before where I had to say Ted it's not working it was, it was just one of those drummers in the studio things anyway i explained this before but Chris Kimsey knew Ethan Johns and Ethan Johns was the son of Glenn Johns who was a very famous producer and um, he did Elton John. I think Glenn's still alive, so I don't... Sorry if I've offended you. I met Glenn once, but Ethan was his son and he was an incredible talent. <clears throat> and Glenn John's new Chris Kimsey really did a drummer. And I think Chris had been doing some work or he'd, been, he'd, had, he'd had Ethan working on some of this stuff. And Ethan came up. What a great guy. Mully instrumentalist, really talented, great drummer, and a great studio drummer. He was just one of those guys, he put the cans, he'd been brought up in a studio, you know, he was he'd lived around studios all his life because of his dad, right? And um, and he'd become, as I said, a real talent in his own right. He came up, played drums on Internal, and we wanted him to join the band. And he got stolen by somebody else. Um, Basically, it was, uh, I can't remember, somebody came along and he got offered a chance to produce somebody, but it was like, well out of my league, right? It was, you know, there was no way. And we brought in this young guy called Kevin Wilkinson, right? And Kevin was an absolutely brilliant drummer. He was superb. He was a beautiful guy. He was a wonderful person to be around. And, uh... In fact, I might tell you the story after we've done the live thing. But um but yeah, so Ethan did the drums in the studio. And in the studio, it was we hadn't loosened up. I mean, this is it's one of the things that happens when you know when you, you record something, you're playing it in the studio, and you get used to that dynamic. And you know, Callum Malcolm always has a go at me when I'm singing, you get a like cut down in the Springsteen. Just turn the Springsteen down. Because it's like, you know, live. I love the live expression, you know, and like. Ah, you know, and you know getting the emotions going but in in the studio you've got to turn the emotions down, in the same ways when you work on a camera, you know as an actor when you work on a theatre stage you act big on a camera you work small right, and that's kind of vocally from an emotion sense where you've got to go when you're in the studio you've got to kind of go small and you hope that your producer and the mix is going to get your voice into the right position. So it, that was a, a, a weird thing. And Shadowplay, when you hear the version from Edinburgh, from uh, basically it's Hug A, uh, 1991, it's a completely different approach. Kevin does a whole different thing. He gets into the whole filling all the bits and pieces up. And it, 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 to me, it sounds better. And, and But the Shadowplay album version, as I said, last night I didn't like it, today I liked it. So this is what I'm going to do for you. Internal XL as a remaster is on the cards. Um, I plan to put the Internal XL remaster out at the same time as the Vigil remaster and probably at the same time as the 13 star remaster. I've got to get into the Vigil thing. We're still waiting to put dotted lines and things. But Internal XL, when we do it, you know, we will definitely touch it up. I don't know whether I'll do a remix. I'm not... It depends on how many copies. Um We can only go so far with remixes, because it means I've got to bake tapes. Because all Internal XL and Vigil are both on... Uh, they were recorded on, on tape, on reel-to-reel tape. And reel-to-reel tape, even though we store it carefully here, you know, it's not, you know clinically controlled, but you know, it's not damp. It's, you know, kept at a reasonable temperature. But you still have to bake it, and you still have to put it in an oven, and you take it up to a temp- certain temperature, so that basically, it's all to do with the glues and things in the tape, and it basically hands them all off, and then you can take it around. Then you're gonna transfer all that across the digital tracks and things. So it's an expensive piece of work to get tapes baked and, and to take all the tracks off them. And I don't know whether, it will work for internal and whether i'm going to do it on vigil um because that tape all belongs to emi and to go in and start messing about with it you know and if it gets expensive you know that's my course not theirs so you know, anyway but internal excel remaster same time as, as vigil and shadow be on it so shadow play was lead track and like i said it was all done in studio, and as a piece of writing, as writing it, it was kind of glued, and it can—it's—it's it's got some very—it's uh, got some very awkward bits, jumpy bits and stuff. So, but I'll let you before you've not heard it. This is from my second solo album, *Internal Exile*, and this, if it's sorted out properly, is shadowed. Ditting needles at the ready.
1: Maybe if I'd lost, and maybe if I'd tried Maybe if I'd worked it, it'd never let me die Maybe I was selfish, maybe I was blind Maybe I was in the wrong, but maybe you were right Run to the magic eye, magic eye, shall we? Run to the magic eye, shall we?
0: I forgot, yeah, I forgot, the back of vocals in that were uh, Marian Cairns, who did some gigs with us, way back, A lovely lady, who's uh, Australian, so if you're watching Marian at some point, how do you do that do you? well Well, um, it was, I hear about, it. Elements of in it. Uh, the elements like liking it, the end always seems really joined on to me, to me, my Farquhar Corner moment, you know, it's, it's, a song I wasn't particularly I wasn't happy with, as you can see. You know, I think it's a good song. I don't think it's one of the best, although you got can tell from the votes, it's you guys love it, you know. Um I used to love Shadowplay when we had it in the medleys. And we used to cut bits at end, you know, ba 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 and then do that and I think we had tongues. Tongues was attached to it. It was on one of the Polish electric sets that I'll have to get sorted out as well. Um was... Cause the Hampton, it's Kerouac. Kerouac? well. But what I've got to do now, I've got to immerse myself in tech. Open. And this is, um, this is a version. This is the one for uh, Whom the Bell Tolls. So this is a version from... This is one of the really dodgy bootlegs. Well, I say dodgy bootlegs, they're official bootlegs. When I left Polydor, I was busted, right? Absolutely busted. And um, it was, I've got to watch because this is going to jump in. And uh, I was trying to set up the Dick Brothers label. Nothing. Would you like? Ready? Right so I was trying to set the Dick Brothers label up and I was busted. It was like I was paying through the nose for this studio and that's not a cocaine pun. It was like it was a. It was, this was a very expensive studio to build and equip. And um, it was built in 91 on internal XL and. Uh, every album that's ever been reco- that I've ever recorded since, has been recorded here. But what happened was when I left the, the label in 93, and uh, basically I had no and nothing was coming in, everything was getting soaked up with the studio. And what I did was I did these official bootlegs. Um, uh, I mean, I was getting bootlegged to hell anyway. I mean, Marillion had been bootlegged for years and years and years. And, you know, we never make anything. The musicians never made anything of them. So what I did was we did these bootlegs. So I could pay the musicians extra money for the live stuff, for live session fees, and and I could get these out and sell them. And these bootlegs, there was a whole... There was five or six of them. They came out in the mask, of the mask series, because what I did was I licensed them to somebody in Holland who was a bootlegger, and then I bootlegged the bootlegger. And uh, he put the mask out, and then I put these titles out. And they've all become rather expensive on eBay these days. Um, uh, They've become collector's items. This one is called For Whom the Bells Toll. And it was Edinburgh Playhouse, New Year's Eve, 1991. And that band was Frank and Robin. And drums, Kevin Wilkinson. Bass was David Payton. And Mickey Simmons was on keyboards. It was a great band. And uh, it it was a fun band at that time as well. Um... And on that on New Year's Eve, I remember we the only reason I wanted to play New Year's Eve in Edinburgh it was my gig. I wasn't asked to play a Hogmanay event. I created my own Hogmanay event in Edinburgh, and we took over the playhouse. But Barnum Bailey's stage set was in there, and there was an entire circus stage set with like towers and all sorts of shit in it. And they said that they couldn't move it, and we had to play around it. Right? So we actually did the gig on Hugman A at Edinburgh Playhouse with Barnum Bailey's stage set and uh it was. Uh, it was a fun night, but this is this is Kevin. This is Kevin Wilkinson drums. So this is Shadow Play. This is about oh nine months or so or whatever it was after we released it. We got oh uh, yeah, the timing's brilliant. This is a number called Shadow Play. Whole different vibe in the drums. For drummers out there. This guy, Kevin Walkerson, was stunning.
1: To the rich car, the rich car, the sheriffy. Run to the rich car, the rich car, the sheriffy. Run to the rich car, the rich car, the sheriffy. Run to the rich car, the rich car, the sheriffy. Maybe if it moves, maybe if it maybe if it works and it never gets a die. Maybe I was selfish, maybe I was blind, maybe I was in the wrong mood. The magic, the magic, the magic, the magic, the magic, the 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 magic, the magic, the magic,
0: <laughs> 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 I can't
1: even,
0: I can't remember what happened then, it was Kevin Kevin moment. Kevin was brilliant. Uh, it was uh, my favourite my favourite Kevin story, right? This <laughs> is really this is great. When I was a kid the first time I ever went to Europe with my folks, when my dad drove the this green Mercedes across, we went on this big, long road trip all the way down. And we ended up in Lido de Jesolo in Italy, right? And um, it's Lido de Jesolo for those who don't know it, it's, it's, it's near Venice, right? It's on that kind of Adriatic kind of vibe, right? And uh, it's a huge, big holidaymaker town. It's just full of holidaymakers... <laughs> And we stayed in this place. And uh, I had a great time as we boy. I remember the sun and, like, beach balls. And I remember Italian girls. I was only about... I think I was 12 at the time. And I remember... I think it was the first time I fell in love with an Italian girl. And um, and we had a fantastic time. And we drove all the way back and stuff. Lada di Geslo was part of my... When I was a kid. You know, Lada di Geslo. And we were doing a tour. And... Uh, had sorted out and we were kinda we were um gonna have a day off in Lido de Jeslo. And I'm going Fantastic. Sun, sea, sand, beach, you know, Margaritas, you know, day off, Lido de Jeslo Italy. It was March. And uh <laughs> and the tour bus pulled up in Lido de Jeslo, right? And the only people that were in Lydda de Jeslo at that time were painters, decorators, and people that were basically repairing hotels from the winter damage and stuff, right? It was awful. And uh, there was nothing open, right? There was nothing open. <laughs> and we had this this day off in Lydda. And we got a football, and we lost the football after about 20 minutes. Somebody kicked it, and it got carried by the wind. Because there was this immense wind that was blowing down line of the Jeslow Main Street, right. That you cannot walk like that. You kinda, you're walking up the road like, like this, and it was it was cold. It was miserable. It was shite, right. And this was a day off, right. So anyway, we all wandered up the high street looking for a pub. <laughs> I'm going to find a pub, and um. We found this little cafe and we all went into it and it was like crap, right? And we remember sitting in this big round table at the corner of the cafe. We hadn't eaten anything, and that's a very important factor to remember. We hadn't eaten anything, right? Because there were no restaurants open. And I think we got some toasties or something in this cafe, that was all they had. And, uh, and we just ended up drinking double espressos and zambuca, right? <laughs> Now, for those of you who are in the know, double espressos in Zambuca is a recipe for bloody disaster, right? So what happened was we were just all just drinking these Zambucas and we were getting a bit of them. And we were also um, quite a couple of miles from where the bus was, right? Which was further behind us somewhere down this main street, right? But we decided that we were all going to go on to the beach right why I don't know, but I think I've got something to do with it. let's all go to the beach to the beach right and we walked out of this cafe where we'd, we'd been arsons bookers for like hours right and and especially so we're like wired and pissed at the same time right and we walked out of this beach right and when the oxygen hit me, I was steaming right I always, it was like and i went all giggly and melted and i was there with kevin my my new best mate kevin who had this beautiful uh gabardine uh kind of a a black it was a black crombie thing right big black crombie it was his favorite jacket right and um and we walked on the beach and i was absolutely absolutely steaming we all were and Kevin and I are trying to walk out, and the wind, we were walking against the wind to, to get back towards the bus, right? And we started walking and we were falling over in the sand and laughing. And I remember I was, there was Kevin and I behind this overturned rowing boat that was lying on the beach. And we were behind there and I was putting together a special cigarette of, with Afghani black in it, right? And Kevin and I, are trying to put this thing together, watching Robin, Yatta and Mickey, I think it was, trying to unchain a boat because they decided to row to Albania, right? That was what went into your head with, like, too much Somebody They decided to row the boat to Albania, and they were trying desperately to get this boat into the water where there was... I mean, they would have lasted seconds, right, in this water. So we all kind of split up. Kevin and I wandered down, right? And it was like... And the wandering was like that. It was... You know, the two of us falling over and laughing. I just remember I was... I was in agony from laughing so much with Kevin, right? And I remember we, there was they had a, a concrete sea wall. It was basically stop the sand going into the sea, you know. So all the little kids in them could play in the sand, and it would always be there. So we're standing on this wall, and there was about a two foot drop down to water, right? And Kevin and I, we were desperate to have a pee, and Kevin was standing about uh, four meters away from me, socially distanced, right? Because it was windy, right? So I was like, Tadja's out, into the water. Right? And I remember looking at Kevin and him looking at me and I'm looking at Kevin, right? And I'm laughing and, I, and he's laughing. And I went, and I nudged him like that. I did I did a kind of like nudge movement and he fell off the wall. <laughs> into the water. <laughs> It wasn't deep, you know, but it was. It was kind of the tide was going out. He fell in. See, is covered in salt water. It's also covered in sand. Then we start walking down, and it's getting darker and darker and darker, right? And we didn't know where we were. I mean, we were off the main drag, so we were on a beach, and we did no kind of no signs. And it was like we just saw a big red light on the top of some hotel or other. And for some reason, we started following the red light like the three kings of old, right? Or the two, two, two pissed-up kings of old. <laughs> Follow the red light. Yeah. And I remember we got further down the beach and we, we couldn't move. We were laughing so much, we couldn't move. And Kevin and I were lying on our sides and we were trying to have a pee on our sides, right? And then Kevin threw up all over his crumby jacket, <laughs> it was like, and he was covered in vomit and sand and so water, laughing his head off, right? In fact, it wasn't Mickey that was in the band, it was Foz that was in the band, I got that wrong, because we walked, we said, we've got to find, get back to the main drag, we must find the bus, we've got to find the bus, I must find the bus, and we walked through this piss-soaked alleyway up onto the main drag, and we walked out the main drag, and there was Foz crawling in all fours down the high street of the jail. <laughs> Off his mind, crawling along the floor, crawling along the road. and and we left him. You're, you're right, fuzz. Oh. All right, all right, right. And Kevin and I staggered along, and I remember there was this. It was a, a bit. There was a bus stop with about six or seven people opposite, right. And we, we shouted to them in the best Italian. Do you know where the bus is, right? And they all pointed like that, five of them all pointed like that, to this double-decker bus. And they must have been dealing with all these, this flotsam and jetsam of roadies and band members <laughs> heading back, steaming to this bus. And uh, it was just this, the double-decker was parked in the middle of this big space, this big empty square. Right? And uh, we had to put Kevin to bed, we had to get his jacket off and kind of wash it as much as we could. And I remember putting him in his bunk and we just left him there and he was just laughing, just laughing his head off in the bunk. (laughs) And we went to this restaurant and and it was, I I was very, very drunk. (laughs) And we we drunk, I had an argument with a waiter because I asked for chardonnay and he delivered me bubbly stuff, which was Italian chardonnay and I didn't want that. And then it all got a bit fractious and then, we, i just remember getting on the bus absolutely steaming and we drove that night that, that night we didn't stay in line with the jesla night it was a day off stop and we drove up to Linz in in austria to do this gig in Linz. and i've you've never seen so many evil deep desolate hangovers as were evident that morning when everybody piled off the bus and we got into this lunch dressing room and just everybody just grabbed a space and slept and everybody was just, it was like, it was a mess. But I remember because I lost the lighter that Frank had given me, right? He gave me a really good Zippo and I lost it somewhere on the beach and somebody else had lost something, right? But it was like that beach in line of the Jeslo, it was the worst day off, one, <laughs> one of the worst day offs I ever experienced. Right. And it's one of my fondest memories of Kevin. So it was, you know, just him laughing, you know, just him. Absolutely, the two of us, absolutely hysterically unable to move, laughing, lying on the sand, covered in vomit. <laughs> so, and Kevin, yeah. And then, you know, as somebody pointed out, Ethan Johns went on to join Mike Peters, and Kevin was supposed to come out with me again. Uh, was that after the Suits album? And because uh, he was with me like all the way through that tour and, and hung about, and then uh, it was uh, when we re- when we set the, the set up, we dived off to join the Proclaimers, and I never saw him again, and it was really sad. And I hate to put the the, the horrible damn Pender but Kevin um, decided that he didn't want to be with us anymore, and he took his own life, which was really sad and very shocking. And it was like we just kind of. Uh, Robin was one of the last people to see him. And, and James Cassidy went with James. And he was just a phenomenal drummer. And it was just a really tragic loss. And it was just it was a terrible way to lose a man. But that was Kevin. I love him dearly. God bless you, Kev. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Kevin Pfeiffer, expresses Zambuca and Oxygen, Julie Noted. Yeah, it'd be Ke- Zambuca is evil. I'll tell you a great Drambuie story another time, right? Drambuie. It's those liqueurs and like and if you and then in the morning when you when you wake up in the morning if you drink a pint of water, you're immediately pissed again. <laughs> this is double whammy, right? Znero Leta, greetings from KSC Kalza, yep, yep. Uh Sayadul Bukhari. Christian Dusan, be amazing the documentary how you go about remastering your albums. Callum Malcolm remasters the album. He's got all these these little magic boxes and tricks and stuff. And it's incredible what he can do, you know, just from basics. Uh, Jeff Kiefer, thanks. Um, Tim Sycamore, Maureen Ksara, Rerooks, Mandy Brain, yeah, Rerooks, Water Rife, Andy Stacey. (laughs) Yeah, it was cool, it was cool. Let me go find our questions, 25 past. Uh da, 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 da. Is there somebody else I need to say thank you to There's um Show us. I've said happy birthday to Simon Gary Shepherd, yep, done all that, Done all that. Uh, uh Tresmanos purple velvet re- Purple Velvet <laughs> Purple Velvet Records Heathish, greetings from Tilburg Have you ever worked with Simple Minds, also a great Scottish band, Derek Forbes, Charlie, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. In the 80s, when we went out in that period, 83, 84, when we we first kind of dived into the the whole European side, the festivals were ablaze. It was was brilliant doing festivals back then. And we were kind of bumping around with Simple Minds, U2, the Eurythmics, the Alarm, Big Country, and... uh, and, you know, we were all kind of young bands. You two were a bit further ahead than everybody else. I mean, um, and uh, we, we, were all, we shared Bills a number of times. And uh, Simple Minds that I met up quite a few times. And, of course, when Scottish people meet up with Scottish people, it's always, oh, how you doing? That's great, blah, 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 blah. And we were both a bit wild. You know, they were quite a wild band at the time. The funny thing was, Derek Forbes... I, I, he was a great guy, a really nice guy, a fantastic bass player. I tried to get him to join my band uh, before Steve Vance joined. And I approached Derek. I been, mean, like I said, I'd met up with him a number of times. Charlie I got on really well with. I really liked Charlie. He, he always reminded me of Peter because He always had. He was always smiling and beaming, and, you know, cheeky chappy. Derek I really liked. And Mick McNeil, the keyboard player, he was another guy I tried to... I asked Mick and I made inquiries about Mick joining the band, I think, again, round about the time when Tony Terrell came in on the Rain Gods with Zippo's time. And I was looking for an, a, another keyboard player. And I thought about Mick McNeil, but um, but Mick was very into dance music. And I think he had a lot of kind of issues going on at the time. And it, it just wasn't right. And then Derek, as I said, Derek turned me down and he got an offer. He, he was He was interested in taking on the gig. But he got an offer from, I think it was Kirk Brandon. I think it was at the project that he did after Spear of Destiny. And he moved off. Jim Kerr and I never really saw Eye to Eye. Me and singers, I don't really get on with singers. And Jim and I. I mean, I I like Simple Minds. My favourite album of theirs was New Gold Dream, um, Without a Shadow of a Doubt, and some of the albums previous to that. Because they were kind of born from, they were all into prog. Although they didn't quite admit it, they did lay it latterly. But I mean, uh, they were all kind of, you know, as far as I know, into Genesis. And um, but I mean, Jim's—I was a lyricist, and Jim's not, you know. And you know, he writes some catchy outlines, but I mean, you know, it's you know, and I got, I got talking to him, and it was, we just think, God, oh, he said a couple of nasty things about me in the press over the years, and uh and I just, I never went for it. The last time I saw them, w- w- funny enough, Karlsruhe. They were playing in Carlsruhe at the... What's that gig? Not the one we normally play. Anyway, they were, they were playing Karlsruhe. And we thought we'd go down and phoned up the promoter and he said, what's the name of the gig in Karlsruhe we went to see, Simple Minds? Uh, tall- the Tall House. Yeah, the Tall House. Yeah, so we were on the toll house, and, and the local promoter said, Yeah, no problem, get your tickets. It's great. And I thought, Great, I'll go down and, and say hello. I hadn't seen him for years and stuff. And like I said, I mean, Charlie and the guys, and, and Charlie and I got on, on fine and stuff. And in fact, Charlie was the only one that was still on the band, apart from Jim. And uh, we went backstage, we went down to try and get backstage, and it was like, You know, it's closed, sound check. Nobody's allowed in for sound check. And it was all kind of, there was like, you know, Bigger bus, you know, the big buses were outside. Like, not just the one. I think there was two big buses in the truck and stuff. And it was all closed sound check and I went, you know what, I'll just leave it. And uh, I won't bother, if it was all a bit precious. And uh, I thought, ah, I don't fancy going into that lot. And we went to the gig. And how long did we last in the gig? 20 minutes? Half an hour. Yeah, half an hour. I, I, let, I walked out. I couldn't handle it. It was just so loud, and it was just—it was like a stadium. It was a stadium production in, in a in a in a big club gig, you know. And it was awful. Sound was dreadful. And I walked out, and I just I did not hang around at all. But yeah, so I mean, back in the, and the '80s. But I mean, and I saw him a couple of times. But I mean, Jim was just kind of—he did Jim. And like, I don't kick about with you know pop stars and stuff. It's like not my thing, and like I said, Charlie's always was all really friendly. Derek would have been really interested in the band, and uh, and, and so would have met McNeil. But you know they're back together again. They're out doing the circuit and playing, you know, you know all the different bits and pieces, you know. But Paul Devlin, Claude Potvin. hello, Stevie Welsh, Drum Bowie Shakers, great way, yeah, Drum Bowie, Drum Bowie, Champagne Slammers. Rambouy and champagne slammers. Now there is a that's that's hammer blows to the head. That is rambouy and champagne slammers. Siri Thomas, hello from Brazil. Ray Rooks, Piero Cesariva, are you going to write a book with your stories? Yes, someday there will be a memoir if I can remember them all. Uh, Nuke Neffels, are the other I'll I'll buy. Huh? Simon Farquhar, you know we all used to drink. S- slanty while drinking rusty nails. Lecture's got miss rusty nails. Do you know who I introduced to the rusty nails? Suzanne Vega. Now that's shocked you. We were in Gothenburg, right? And, uh, gotta watch this one. It was, uh, we were playing Gothenburg and we had a day off in Gothenburg. A right, Day off in Sweden. Ka-ching! And we were staying in this hotel at a casino. And I remember John Arlison, the manager, got very, very drunk. And um, he was on the casino tables and I was and basically I'd gone into the I'd gone into the hotel and it was I like got that period where the band and I weren't socializing. You know, we just we weren't you know, it was it was a good time. And uh, I went on one. and I was reading the book. I went with a couple of the crew guys and uh, I was reading a book in the bar and this Guy comes up and goes, "Hi, how are you doing?" It's some Scottish guy that I knew, and he ended up. I think he was tour managing Suzanne Vega, right? And she said, "Oh, Suzanne, you, you should be up there." So Suzanne came across, and we sat down, and she went, "What are you drinking?" And at that time, one of my little drinks of choice was a Rusty Nail, which is whiskey and drambuie. Right? It's a lethal drink. Be very careful, children. Right? Be very careful. And uh, so I turned to Suzanne Vega. She goes, "What's that?" And she went, "Oh, that's really nice." And we got steaming on Rusty Nails. And uh, I had a great time and we all ended up, it was about 10 of us ended up in, in one of the rooms playing. I was really into Pink Floyd and like, it was like, ah, oh, yeah, Ducks to the Moon. She's going, ah, i take it off, take it off. And uh, seemingly she used, to, um, she used to dance in bars in, in New York way when she was very, very young. And one of the things she used to dance to was Ducks to the Moon and she just, she hates it. And um, but anyway, we got very, very drunk and I was left with a bunch of crew guys in the room, and it was uh, very, very messy indeed in Gothenburg. And the one thing I remember is that John Arneson uh, was rolling about with piles and piles and piles of chips and decided that he was going to buy everybody champagne. Very nice of him, right? So John bought all the champagne for everybody, right? And he went to cash in his chips and he had piles and piles, buckets and buckets of chips. He had about 10 quid's worth of chips. Each one of these chips was like kind of like a minute, a, you know, point. Zero, zero, zero. And it was like masses of chips that made you feel really good. But he actually blew about 300 quid on champagne after winning 10 quid, 15 quid at the roulette table, which was nice. <laughs> Sorry I did the fast show stuff, but it's like my missus and I, Simone and I, we started watching the fast show. And uh, I hadn't watched it for years. And um, it suddenly starts creeping in to you. As we, had, we did a tour, Steve Ansys and I were talking the other day on the phone. And he was saying... We had this tour where everybody spoke fasho. It was the entire band and crew. We just, it was all fasho language. Everything was fasho language. I loved the programme. And so we started watching it again, which is really cool. 25-2. So. Rogela El Itzaldi from, oh, missed it. From down Chile way, Paraguay. Yeah, Paul Devlin. Oh, I'm losing this feed. Jeff Kiefer yeah I know what you mean uh, John Watson's favourite Simple Minds album street fighting years I ah, didn't get off on that I liked the, the, some of the experimental stuff they did American uh, the, the track Amer- I'm Ameri, Ameri, American that was pretty good I picked it up in a, in a record store in the village in New York I think I got a 12 inch single of it which I've still got somewhere in there uh, Raymond Van Vanjieck, what do you think of Simple Red? Nah. Um, Newark Eiffel's are the other albums coming in vinyl. I said that before, earlier on in the show. It's like, I'll, I'll have to check. You know, I think I have to do a limited edition thing with a vinyl, and I have to see where it runs. I mean, one of the problems is that, yeah, we're in lockdown, or but not lockdown, but, you know, we're dealing with the, the COVID thing, and we're dealing with, um, you know, People who are losing jobs. People who can't work. Da, da, da. So you're very aware that you know there there isn't there isn't the money out there as well. And I think you know you have to be respectful of that. And as somebody's quite rightfully pointed out, it's like you know we'd love to buy an album, but you know there's a mortgage to be paid, and I completely relate to that and understand that. And um, so that's another thing we got to watch. It's like okay, there's no touring, you know, any indoor touring. I mean assuming that the February UK shows aren't going to happen, right? And, which we don't know yet, you know, again, part of the big question mark. So, uh, you, you've got to be aware of, you know, if you're putting a lot of product out, then you've got to sell the product, you know, people don't have work, and people have got more important things to do with things to do with the money, then you, you've got to be very wary of that, you know. it's Like I said, I mean, everything is, is changing, so much that it's it's, it's fluctuating, you know. Um, you, you, we got to be careful, as, and as far as you know, we can't start extending ourselves either, you know, from here. So, like I said, we've got the Velshuvits album coming out, and the plan is to put these remasters out. But you know, the remasters, yeah, the vinyl might be a touch too much. I don't know, so I will gauge that next year. It would be nice to be on a tour when I've got the vinyl out, because I do appreciate that postage charges are horrendous. They are, they annoy me, you know, but there's nothing we can do. We're kind of regulated by a, a Royal Mail and the click and drop thing we have. So, I mean, to, to, if I've got the vinyl out, it would be great if I was on a tour. Which means we're carrying the vinyl and it's easier for people to pick up without having to pay the postage. Which was the idea for the March twenty twenty tour when we had the script for Jester Sear vinyl. And um I, I sent a message to Lucy as well just last week and they're talking about the Fugazi remaster. And it said, Please be aware that, you know, if we go up to the same size as Clutching at Straws, it was the Clutching at Straws album was a heavy one, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. The clutch of Straw's album was over two kilograms, and for two kilograms in the post, it's just it's a nightmare. And I've just said to Lucy, "Can we please think about this and try and get the, the keep the, the weight of the vinyl product below two kilograms so that it doesn't go into like stupid money." right? And um, so we just have to see where it goes. But like I said, I'd love to do it. I mean, I know personally, I'd love to have a, you know my whole solo collection on vinyl. I mean what, this, v- this visual was done on vinyl originally, Internal, Songs for the Mirror was done on vinyl back in the day, uh, Suits was done on vinyl, that was the one... Have we still got Suits vinyl left? No. No, we've not we got any left. We had Suits on, on vinyl. Um, and then, I kinda don't think there was anything else after that. I can't remember. Somebody asked me about, like, you know what stuff do you have? Do you, you have all the Dick Brothers things? I don't. You know, I said on an earlier programme... I guess if i have to give it away. It's like, you know, somebody comes to the house and go, yeah, take this, have this. You know? and, um, I got some interesting stuff that I forgot I had. Like, you know, and White Labels. You ain't getting there, though. No. Yeah. Wayne Bradley from the Gower. Baldry from, from the Gower. Did you see Amy Winehouse in one of their pizza fast show this week first? No, no, I didn't. Kalamazoo, Michigan. Bill Sikamar, Sylvia Maroney. Are you still in touch with Lazuli? No, I've not spoken to Lazuli guys so well. I heard that uh, Jed had, had left the band, but he's, he's been replaced. But um, no, I can always touch, you know, we still, there's an email flashes, there's a, a message comes back and forth. Uh, Steve Bissett, Simple Minds, Live with the City of Light. Yeah, that was quite a good live album. It was a uh, live album. Bob Falk, what is the worst injury you've had in your life? The worst injury. That's the one that's a thinking one. The worst injury I've had in my life. I once cut my arm. I was a pretty horrendous one when I was in forestry. And we were doing this thing called, it was called hooking. Not what you might think, but hooking. A hook is a small scythe. It's a it's you hold it in a hand and it's got a metal blade that's got a curve in it like a small scythe, right a hook and we had to cut grass with that round the trees so you had rows of trees and you had to kind of go up and, and you sharpen this hook which was always used to put shivers in me every time you sharpen the hook with a stone and you know get it razor sharp and then you're cutting grass and you're going up and i in order to allow me to sleep at the end of the rows for five, ten minutes before I start the next one, I developed this double arm technique, which was basically you bring the hook down and you spin it and then bring it down in the backstroke and spin it and bring it down. And I could do, I could rather than one stroke, one stroke, I was going, phew, phew, phew. Great, you think, wonderful technique, works brilliantly until the tip of the hook hits the stone and turns. And then you're a bit tired. And then turn the hook into the wrong way. So rather than bringing it down on that stroke, you bring it down that. And I had my elbow in front of the hook when it came down. That was sore. And uh, that was a nasty cut. Um, that was a painful one. Knee injuries. I've had, I've had a, the knee injury I had in Barcelona way back, I'm trying to think what two of that was on. Um, I remember playing, in fact, that was the most painful one. That was the most painful. And we're in Barcelona and we'd had a bit of an afternoon with uh, Tom Vance's, Steve's dad, and uh, drinking. He had this stuff called, we call it Argumenti, right? And it was very, very high potency um, rum spirit made out of, I think it was uh, coca beans. So you had a double whammy again, right? And, um, and I went on stage and the adrenaline, I, mean, I was fired up and the stage was really sticky. And I was wearing, I had sneakers on, I had training shoes on. And I remember doing a spin. And on this beer, Coca-Cola, sticky stage, my training shoes stuck on the floor as my entire body went round my knee, right? And I felt every ligament go pop in my knee. And at the time, I didn't feel it because I was so full of adrenaline and uh, argumenti, And I remember going across the yacht at the side of the stage and just saying, strap it up. And we had to like, he put on these massive straps on my leg just to hold my knee together. And luckily the next gig we were playing was in Grenoble in in France, in France. And it was a ski place. And there were knee specialists there and we'd dial the head, but I had to go onto the bus. And I remember on this particular bus configuration, it had a, you went into the back door and there was a downstairs lounge and then you went upstairs to the main part of the bus. right? And I had to spend the entire night in the back of this bus all the way to Grenoble just mouthing painkillers and alcohol just to try and knock myself out. It was getting bounced all the way up, all the way from Barcelona, all the way to France. That was, that was painful. And I saw I, I saw a, a, a doctor there, and they put a big cast on my leg. And we were doing these French gigs. We had French gigs to do, including a, a Grenoble that had been set up at the last minute, because another story. And I lasted two shows, and the next thing, I was on a flight home, and I was screwed. And I, and I badly damaged my ligaments. And that was the end of my footballing career. That was, uh, and that was, that was it. And I still have, I have problems with, with this knee to this day. No, no. Quarter two. Um, I'm going to play the track, which is going to be... I know you like this one because you've said it. You've, you've, you've uh, pointed out this clicky little thing. Um, Gardener Remembrance, this doing okay. Like I said before, we've got this impact day and I'm not really sure exactly what's happening with radio. I mean, I got a disappointing message from my mate Ron... Who's doing a promotion for me in Holland? And he's saying he can't get it placed, and uh, it's, you know, he can't get any airtime for it. And it seems to be something similar in this country. I don't know, I don't know. It's just weird having this impact date. You're so used to having a single and it, you know, going working in a particular way, and now it's all changed. Impact date, you know, so the impact date. <coughs> for Garden of Remembrance, I think is in the next week, two weeks, and then it determines where it's going to go. But I mean, um, I'm disappointed. I thought, I thought I would have got a bit more interest, you know. But I mean, then again, you know, it's the early days, I suppose, you know. And the reality is, the album is getting brilliant reviews, and uh, I've got a couple of we've I've got an advert that's going out in a Classic Rock magazine on the issue after next, I think it is. And we got a couple of quotes. I asked Classic in Prague if they could give me a couple of key quotes just to put on the advert because it's coming out and, and, and after the album's kind of on the same week, the album's coming out. And I got a couple of like quotes. Very good. So the album is doing exactly what I hope the album would do, but the singles are not doing what I thought they would do at this moment in time. But I live forever in hope. Somewhere out there, somebody is going to go, this is brilliant, and play it all the time, and it's going to do what the single's supposed to do. So, without any further ado, this is the one you like. It's been, this is coming out on September the 11th, and we're going to go back to the old trusty van with us again, folks. Oh bite. This is the way This part is over. Hi Fish from the Gelchnaps album. now available for pre-order at fishmusic.scot remember it's a pre-order we're still getting emails going I've not received my copy yet it won't be sent out until the 25th it won't be sent out until the 25th of September we'll, we probably get the albums in before and the idea is my mum has been through there my mum has been actually packing the standard CDs because they arrived last week and like I said we can't put them out until the 25th we, we just have to do it so she's been packaged. So if you've got a standard double CD, right, then it might have been my mum's very own lovely little hands that put that together into a package for you to send. So um, like I said, I mean, it's, so we've been getting the, the packaging's arriving, the albums are all supposed to be here. We're getting touch with Royal Mail. We'll get the big Yorkies. So hopefully on that, that week where I go, it's going to boof, boof, boof. You know? It's going well. You know, it's. Uh, I'm happy with the way things are going. We are. I am trying to get this PayPal thing sorted out next week, which means that the people who don't have debit cards or credit cards can go into PayPal. We prefer if you use Stripe because the PayPal rates are very high, and that's why we moved on to Stripe. But Stripe don't offer us the chance to use our things and with security and everything else. Kind of blah blah blah. Okay. It's five two. By the way, these are the new buffs. These are not COVID masks. We do not advertise them as COVID masks, right? They are not protective. If you're going to wear them properly, you do what we do. We put stuff inside them. You put a hanky inside it, it holds a hanky on your face, and that does it, does a trick. It's not a COVID mask, right? We don't sell them as COVID masks, right? So, but, you know, we're here again. I mean, uh, It was uh, interesting to see this week. Um, You know, the schools have been back in Scotland for two weeks, and then, bam, it was, what was it, 14 teachers or something in Dundee, and then there was nine teachers the other day. And, you know, immediately, um, our First Minister said, masks on, you know, in in high schools, which I think is very wise. You know, bottom line, um, I know I'm, you know, preaching a lot to the converted here, uh, but, uh, you know... I ain't going out until this goes away. I mean, I'm stuck. As I said, you know, I was sending emails to people saying, you know, we have to make decisions, you know, as, you know, all the musicians. I mean, I, I, I think back to like, I tried to imagine earlier on, what it would have been like, you know, having just done the script for Jester's Tear album and about to go out on the big tour and somebody going, stop, right? And I really feel, I mean, sincerely feel for the musicians and the bands that are out there that have had projects lined up that were just about to go on that tour, the thing that they've been building up to, and it's suddenly the rope's gone up. You have thou shalt not pass. And, uh, you know, to have your dream kiboshed like that, you know, I mean, it, yeah, it's horrendous. And i really... Feel for a lot of the young bands out there that were just, you know, looking at to make their next move. You know, this is where we're going. And it's this is having a, de- a devastating effect to the music business. Devastating. Um, as I said, I mean, that was, you know, Jerry Yoon from Prog Magazine. You know, he, he asked if I would put up something about, about the magazine because, you know, the music magazines are struggling. Because, you know, they used to sell them in railway stations and stuff like that and, and airports and you know, where there's a lot of walkthrough, you know, and prog survived and classic rock survived because so many people have subscriptions to that magazine. And, um, but I mean, you know, the, the footfall has gone down so much that so many magazines get, are getting hurt. As I said, I mean, I had this a major interview go out where, um, I think it was the Sunday Mail or the Mail and Sunday Events magazine. And the Events magazine's gone because there are no events. You know, the, the travel, uh, the travel supplements are getting kiboshed because there is no travel, you know? So, I mean, there's lots of strange little things that's happening. But, you know, the vaccine is a way away. It's a way away. You know, I mean, you know, it ain't going to happen. Don't believe, you know, what the bombshell saying across the States. You know, this ain't going to be happening before Christmas. And and we've just got to deal with it. Right, Like I said, you know, as a musician, I mean, I, I actually dream of gigs. It's really weird. I'm actually dreaming of gigs. I'm dreaming of tour buses, you know, and hotels and things. It's like, and it's really strange that, I, you know, I'm not going to be doing this for maybe a year, right? And um, I've never been off the road ever for that long, you know? But we can't we can go out until... The R rates go down. We can't go down until it's under some semblance of control, you know. And uh, and it requires people to follow the rules. I know some people don't like wearing masks, and they, they you know, does my bum look big in this, right? Just wear it because unless we get the rate down, there are no gigs, there are no concerts, there are no tours, nothing, right? And there are a lot of people out there in this music business that are not that are out there, road animals, road warriors, you know, crew guys, musicians, merchandisers, bus drivers, carers, blah, 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 that, like, we need to get back to work. And we can't go back to work until we're allowed to have people in halls. And we can't have people in halls until the R rate goes down and it gets under some sort of management. So socially distance, wash your hands, wear a mask, just do your bit. Because if everybody does their bit and, is, and are sensible, right? And if they're just a little bit of social conscience on all this as well, you know, just think about it. You know, if we can get it down, then we can go back to having live music. And that is me on the Friday. Thank you very much once again for joining me. Um, the Erdinger is about gone. Uh, oh, darling, darling. We've not done it. Simona, yeah. what are we, what's for dinner tonight, Simona? I nearly forgot. It's
1: Italian night. It's pizza. Pizza. Homemade
0: pizza. Uh, homemade pizza.
1: Homemade pizza with porcini, mushrooms and salami, my favourite.
0: Yeah.
1: And for you, bacon and anything
0: else. Yeah. <laughs> kebab pizza. What want a kebab pizza. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's it. So it's uh, goodbye from us. Um, uh until next week um like i said just follow the rules they're really easy you're doing your bit it doesn't matter what anybody else does just do your bit if everybody does their bit then it all gets easier so until next week take care stay alive and enjoy your weekend bye bye Bye.